0: Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Welcome at Stem Cells at Lunch. We have Professor Jeremy Green um, from the Centre for Craniofacial and Regenerative Biology. Um, and that's also where I'm based. I'm Thea Willis. I'm working on pituitary stem cells in the Undeniadu group. Um, so uh, thanks for coming and uh, the first question I'd like to ask today is can you explain a bit about your current work that's going on in your group?
1: So I'm, um, I'm a developmental biologist and uh, I'm looking at basic biology the very basic biology end of that and we're focused on physical morphogenesis so how do you get from you know, a cell to organs and tissues at the level of what the cells do physically. There's a slight shift from what a lot of people do with looking at genes and gene regulation and signaling, and we do a little bit of that too, but mostly we're focused on how that leads to physical structures, focusing on looking at cells and looking at how tissues form. And we're doing that in two areas, one uh, sort of general craniofacial, and the other is more abstractly in sort of axis elongation, and and that's in mouse, and and the axis elongation is in Xenobus.
0: That's really interesting, Um, and so what sort of techniques do you use in your group?
1: We do um, a lot of uh, microscopy Mm. and um, I would say kind of middling tech shall we say, so not super high end, we're not microscopists as such, we don't develop uh, instrumentation or anything like that, Mm. but we do do um, live imaging and also image analysis and we do a lot of things that sound very simple, actually a little bit more complicated, which is just measuring what cells do, measuring cell shape, sizes, division rates and so on, oh, wow. and it's by quantifying stuff that we actually get insights into how the cells do their job.
0: Yeah, great, and so <coughs> you men- uh, mentioned that you work with Xenopus, mm-hmm. so that's for our listeners very frogs, yes. um, and um, do you work with any other models?
1: So um, mouse or frog, so mouse embryonic frog. mice and embryonic Xenopus frogs. Oh, yeah.
0: Um, and so what got you interested in doing the work that you do now?
1: Well I um, was just fascinated f- from at the point of be- actually being an undergraduate in developmental biology how how this sort of miracle of development happens mm. where does it all come from and um, uh, one of my early postdocs was working on the sort of um, signaling aspects how morphogens work so morphogens are the chemicals that instruct cells in the embryo to do what they do Um, but at the same time we found that when you apply these morphogen chemicals not only do the cells change what they are but they also move around and change shape and create structures and while you know i've been in this business quite a long time and a lot of what's been uh, happening has been very much focused on the signaling aspects. In the last, I would say, maybe seven or eight years, I personally have sort of rediscovered morphogenesis, the physical actions, mm-hmm. um, and found it very exciting. And it's really a big frontier in developmental biology, in my view. So um, uh, it's very exciting area to work, because a lot of Definitely. stuff is just not known, it's things are just not described. Yeah. So you can learn a lot just by looking, as the great Yogi Berra yeah. once said. It's amazing <laughs> what you can see just by looking.
0: Definitely. That's super interesting. So that was um, the morphogen stuff, was that with Jim Smith? That, that was you? with Jim
1: Smith, yes. Okay. So quite a few years ago. So working out that these chemicals that create pattern work according to gradients in the embryo so they set up the cells to do different things depending on the concentration. Uh, The cells can interpret the local concentration and become, you know, muscle or blood or bone or whatever it is. But then they've got to actuate that program and sometimes that program is just a change in their own character. And sometimes it's saying, well, let's divide and make many more cells and sometimes it's let's change shape and sometimes it's let's move around and rearrange with our neighbours. And usually it's actually a combination of all of those. Yeah,
0: sure. And do you you look at also the organising centre so the cells that uh, secrete these morphogens or express these morphogens?
1: Well, my current work, we were a bit less focused on that. Mm. Um, What the last sort of 25, 30 years of developmental biology has done is very much focus on where genes are expressed and yeah. so we're kind of plugging in to that knowledge and those techniques adding to that uh, knowledge base as necessary um, so in a sense that's almost the known part and what's not known yeah. is how you get from that to changing the shape of an organ
0: yeah.
1: and then how that change happens based on things like physical forces yeah. um, so the actual physics of it, the mechanics of yeah. it um, as well as if you like the biology yeah. uh, it's something that we, we just don't know and we're going to need to know that stuff if we're going to for example use any of this knowledge to try and regenerate or repair structures um, you know there's a big field now of using organoids which are kind of self-organising yeah. aggregates of cells put together that have a remarkable ability to recreate things that look a bit like an eye or a bit like a brain even or, or a bit of the gut and so yeah. on But although they're very impressive, they're actually also not very good. I mean, they're not very accurate. And so how we can make them more accurate and more representative of those tissues and organs so that they're better models for, for example, drug testing or better test beds. Tuning those things will require, does require, the kind of knowledge of the physical morphogenesis Mm. that we're trying to to work out.
0: Definitely. And I guess you've kind of answered my next question, but it was going to be what's the impact or... Um, of your research. Well, it's precisely exactly. that.
1: It's trying to get a real handle on how you actually go from knowing what genes are there, knowing yeah. what the, if you like, the chemistry is, to saying, okay, well, we need to engineer this a little bit better. I mean, there are people who use sort of artificial materials or semi-artificial materials scaffolds to try and guide things like growth uh, and shape, but actually, one wants to be able to complement those with knowing what the cells. Can do as it were on their own, mm. um, and uh, ultimately, I think it's going to be a combination of those kinds of knowledge that really helps us get, you know, accurate, accurate reconstruction of everything from the you know the pituitary that you work on <laughs> yes. to, you know, to a bit of leg bone. Um, yeah. And those are things that we just really don't quite know how to do yet at the sort of physical level.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess. My next question uh, is, what's your favourite aspect of your either day-to-day work or your research?
1: Well, I find all of it fascinating. I yes. love my job. So um, that's a kind of a hard question to answer. I mean, I actually, slightly to my surprise, discovered that I like, uh, I like the instrumentation aspect. I like the yeah. microscopy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not known particularly as somebody who does that because that's not been the sort of intellectual focus. But it turns out that actually my group is quite good at doing that stuff and we produce nice pretty pictures and movies it's and true. I like, I like <laughs> the movies um, and uh, I like that and the other part I really like is well I don't do a lot of lab work these days, um, I love actually just doing the physical dissections and seeing mm. these these uh, seeing development happening um, yeah. and, and, and working with it physically because you, you really don't understand how these structures are uh, and the anatomy of it without without han- handling it, there's something about the three-dimensional kind of tactile aspect yeah. and and I like doing the dissections and it's that, that sort of handiwork I find, yeah. you know, kind of enjoyable, relaxing and utterly daunting, fascinating yeah. and I don't get tired of it but even <laughs> no. though I've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, well oh,
0: that's great, that's really cool. Um, so I guess maybe going back a bit, um, can you tell about the journey of how you got to where you are now?
1: Um, Well, I was an undergraduate at Cambridge where Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't really know what I was going to do, so I actually came in doing physics and chemistry and fairly heavy-duty maths, and then uh, took this course which is designed and evidently effective in seducing (laughs) mathematicians and and physicists to do biology, and I still actually like to think about things in a sort of physics-y, engineering-y way, and I like interacting with models, for example, and we do quite a lot of that too. Uh, and I actually also enjoy those aspects, um, but I kind of got into the biology and then did a degree in biochemistry. But one of the big courses in uh, a famous course at Cambridge, taught by some incredible, you know, Nobel Prize winners like John well, Gurdon, yeah. uh, was the developmental biology course, and it kind of got me onto that. And I did my PhD in something slightly different in in, in yeast, but then as a postdoc, I wanted to go back to that, um, and <clears throat> I got a postdoc with Jim Smith, uh, oh, you mentioned, great. yeah. So. Um, Uh, That's where I first met uh, his wife Fiona Watt, who's uh, our local champion here. And um, uh, in his lab I did work, some of the first work really, which I'm going to talk about today, um, on how morphogens, that morphogens exist, what Mm -hmm. they are. Because at that time it was just not even known if they existed, they were just a theory. And we found that uh, they were protein growth factors particular chemicals that had been known in other contexts but weren't known to do this job. Uh, and that kind of launched me in developmental biology. And from Jim's lab, I then did a postdoc at uh, UC Berkeley mm-hmm. uh, in California, where I was jointly supervised by John Gerhardt, who had been involved in early axis formation
0: yeah.
1: set up in, in the Xenopus frog system. Uh, And the great Ray Keller, who is, as it were, the the sort of doyen of morphogenesis. I mean, he's he's coined a lot of the terminology that developmental biologists use to describe how cells behave. And a lot of the concepts uh, are due to his work, which was quite sort of out there in in those days. And, you know, he's sort of only gradually come to be recognized as a real sort of, you know, uh, pioneer in all Mm -hmm. that kind of work. Um, and then from Berkeley, I moved to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, part of Harvard Medical School in Boston. Uh, I was there for 10 years, mostly focusing on you know, fairly mainstream signaling and um, some cancer-related stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to sort of get back to the, the morphogenesis. Um, and in 2005, I came back to London, which is my hometown, mm-hmm. uh, where my family uh, is, and uh, to King's. And um, I started off continuing with this, um, uh, the, the signalling, and actually we did some work on cell polarity as well. Mm. And uh, then I kind of got uh, reacquainted with morphogenesis, really through asking a, a, a student in the department oh, wow. if, uh, if she knew what the cells were actually doing, uh, if I recall, in, in, in palate formation, in, in oral yeah. palate cleft palate being you know you know clinically important craniofacial defect and to my surprise uh, she didn't know but neither did anybody else know anything about things like cell lineage cell movement cell division rates in 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 the face and here was a department at the time was called the department of craniofacial development yes i was astonished and i thought well look if nobody else is looking i'll look (laughs) and and everything else uh, just followed from that
0: wow that's amazing that's uh, a really cool journey.
1: Came came from a student. Uh,
0: yeah, um, and so my last question is: Do you have any advice for uh, PhD students?
1: Um, well, uh, it's always tempting to get a bit pompous you ask know, that kind of <laughs> questions. So I'll try not to, but I mean, I think you know, I think there, you know, pr- probably two things. I mean, one of the things I think is that. I think it's really hard as a PhD student to realize that making science is just, it's hard and it's hard for everybody and you look around you and you see all of this great science going on and a lot of the sweat and agony is sort of hidden from view Mm. and quite a lot of the time when things aren't working it might not be your fault, Um, you know, that quite often sometimes the problems are just hard and mm. you often have to cut your losses and just take a different approach if things aren't working. And the other thing I would say is that, and the other, I think, big thing one learns as a PhD student, and I speak from personal experience, is mm. your supervisor, who may seem quite elevated and remote, I mean, obviously not every supervisor is like that, and I certainly try not to be like that, but I certainly remember from my supervisor who was a fellow of the Royal Society and seemed a head of department mm. and, all of that sort of stuff um, but nonetheless supervisor can, s- can seem quite authoritative actually a lot of the time what they really like and <laughs> what are really, they're really good at doing the reason they are where they are is because they're quite good at the nitty gritty of solving your problem Yeah, it might seem like a trivial problem something to do with making a solution or something like that turns out that the boss might actually be interested to hear those <laughs> details don't be embarrassed to sort of confess <laughs> yeah. that that's where your problem is yeah um, you might find that the uh, that your supervisor actually gets quite engaged and excited. No, definitely. Probably so like those two that, things though. I think might be helpful.
0: Great. Great. Well, I think we have to wrap up now because we've got to hear your talk. But uh, thank you so much for coming. Um, My pleasure. Um,